don't let external circumstances or what people tell you and even what your inner voice tells you sometimes hold you back. Take enough time to remember how you used to be as a kid as far as anything is possible if you put your mind to it and you put enough enthusiasm and action behind it. We are back with part two of our creativity conversation with host of the Electric Soil podcast, Matt Gardner. In the last episode, we talked about perfectionism, art as therapy, and how being creative can actually be as healthy for you as exercising. Today, we're going to dive a little deeper into Matt's story, talk about the process of the learning curve, all those words we use that are holding us back, and so much more. I can't wait to get into this episode with you. So let's jump straight in where we left off. I'm interested to know when you've been looking into this and reading and researching, what are some of the other like physical and mental benefits of doing art and being creative? Yeah, no, a really good question now. So if you get into like the brain science part of it, like they mentioned, again, I like sort of talked about it. It's very similar to exercise in the way that it'll it'll actually lower like cortisol levels. It's basically removing like stress almost like, right? So, and you, you hear people talk about like getting into flow state. So one of the best ways that you can kind of get into that flow state where just your breathing is, you know, nice and heavy and just, and you're super focused and you kind of, I think everybody knows that feeling at some point. And some people have it when they're mowing the lawn. Some people, you know, might have it in the kitchen, right? But I think everybody can relate to that. And and, and art of all forms can really get you into that where you just, because they talk about it's like whole brain thinking, which not too much things, you know, you're talking about the, the, the logical uh, brain left and then the creativity side, like the right side. There's not too much that actually marries them both so perfectly as artistic expression. So musical instruments are great for whole brain thinking because you got to think of like, for example, playing guitar, you know, the, the left side of your brain is kind of controlling like the, the motor skills essentially, whereas the right hand side is like, okay, expressing like the melody and, and how the chords are fitting together and the actual musicality of it. So pretty crazy when you're thinking about that side of things. I mean, it's uh, art can release serotonin, uh, dopamine, and, you know, all the, all the, you know, the feel good brain chemicals, right? And it's just, so again, similar to, uh, to exercise that way. So it's, it's for some folks that might not be as, as, as big into exercise. This is a, a wonderful alternative to have all of those types of benefits. They actually had a few studies as far as uh, some at old folks homes, when they would get back into painting, it would help ward off certain like mental decline, like into even it, warding off like dementia and things of that nature because it's again it gets you so focused and in the moment and present so i just found that fascinating there's quite a few uh, articles out there about you know specifically painting it's funny you mentioned that too it's because it's sort of like a light physicality on the hands and everything it can actually help with arthritis with with older older folks that have arthritis as well so there's just so many different wonderful benefits that you don't necessarily think of or aren't being championed as much as i think they should be and when you're talking about the other benefits, like, I mean, lower stress is going to like lower cortisol levels is going to lead to lower blood pressure. And, and I just really like the breathing thing. Cause I always found, you know, at my job when I, and I'm, I'm not sure how it is for you. I'm kind of interested to see what, how it is for you. But when I try multitasking, a multitasking doesn't really work, let's face it. But B as like, I would always just hold my breath. I would have this like chest breathing and I'd just be like, you know, trying to write something down, respond to an email, too much stuff going on. So when you can get into focusing on, say, learning an instrument or playing an instrument, 
And I do want to remind me if I forget, I want to get into the whole, you know, learning curve because there is that, the, you know, the whole study about the 10,000 hours thing. I, I do want to t- I touch on that a little bit later. But when you get into the, the focusing on a learning an instrument or painting or something, you're going to find that your breathing improves. You're going to be doing more abdomen breathing. You're going to be focused better. And you're, start, you're going to start getting a lot more like linear thoughts. It's almost like a moving meditation in a sense, in that sense, where it's like you got a lot more like linear thinking as opposed to this periphery distraction thinking that we seem to always be uh, <laughs> guilty of. I, I know I am for the most part, like throughout the day. So man, I, that's, I mean, those are a few big benefits that are, are just wonderful for uh, creative endeavors. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I love the wine you talk about. I've heard that too about people in old folks' homes are doing the R and just stimulating the brain again. And, you know, people who have dementia or, or even just as a preventative measure, just doing those kind of artistic exercises. I think that is, is amazing. What you talk about with the multitasking and the shallow breathing, I've definitely experienced mm. that myself. Right. And right. so different when... I call it like just getting into the zone. And, you know, for me, it's painting, it's filming when you're really in that creative filming zone and it's like time just doesn't really exist anymore and you're so focused, but you, you do breathe better and you just feel better and you feel more focused. But as soon as you jump back in, I've got like 20 tabs open on my browser and I'm doing like a, an at home edit day and I'm totally distracted by everything else. It, It really does affect that breathing. So something that I've really had to train myself into, and it's still a struggle sometimes is eliminating distractions so that Mm. you can actually get the work done. And because for me, it's sitting at a desk is not really my thing, but video editing is obviously a big part of my business. So having to eliminate all the distractions and get into the zone to do that creative video editing, I think that is, it's definitely something I've had to, had to train myself into. So totally. It's funny you mentioned that yeah, I'm the same way for like for doing the audio engineering or when I was working on yeah, the video editing on my own, you know, my own course and so forth. Completely the same way. I am more of like I'm up and moving all the time. So for me to sit in front of a desk, I, I that's where I start like reaching out for things to, to almost welcome distractions at that point. So what I was finding worked really well for me. It's funny because like when I was doing this course, I found a lot of the research and everything that I was, I was trying to articulate in the course. I felt that I was like, challenging myself to go through it was kind of like a rite of passage I'm like well I know all this stuff but and I'm like you know doing the uh, the module on distraction and then meanwhile to your point I got like five tabs open and, and everything I'm like wait a second hold on this is kind of ironic right so there was a lot of moments like that so that was that was kind of funny but yeah yeah I want to talk about what you brought off at the learning curve so tell me something about that. Is that in building the course or just in general? Yeah. So again, just sort of to tie in the course. So the research I was doing, because I the one stat that always sort of comes up with is, and everybody is quite familiar with it, I'm, I'm sure, is the 10,000 hour rule. I think it's Malcolm Gladwell, I believe, came up with it, or at least you know, articulated it to, to the point it was sort of became popular. And the whole idea is, it's a, you know, it'll take you 10,000 hours to gain mastery of a skill, right? So you know, obviously that's a procrastinator's dream or nightmare, depending on how you frame it, right? It's like 10,000 hours. That's a long time, obviously, right? But but that is for like absolute mastery. So that is for somebody to, you know, 10 or 15 years of doing it full time is going to get to that stage. So 
that is hardly, I mean, there's a lot of gray area between just becoming competent at something and mastery, right? So I want to, when I'm, when you're focusing on the, the re-engagement side of things, or just, or just picking something up, you don't want to hear anything to do with 10,000 hours, push that aside and focus on, okay, what is it going to actually take you to become competent from super clumsy at, at because obviously you're going to be, and it's no, the thing is you got to remember everybody is that it's no commentary on yourself. And I think a lot of people take it personally that they can't do something. And again, we're talking about like the, the, per, the perfection trap, right? So just because you can't do something, you know, right away, as no commentary on your intelligence, your lack of gifts, or, you know, you don't have to like attach a story to it. At the end of the day, you've never done it before. So there is going to be muscle memory that has to be built up. There's going to be connections in your brain that have to, you know, make the, the proper connections. And there has to be time involved to, to put it so there, there is a learning curve and you just have to realize that it's that's this there's no real way around it so break it into little chunks there was another author that came up with he basically suggested that it's 20 hours to get through a learning curve so at that point it's basically 45 minutes a day for 30 days committing to that or you know in your interval just bringing that up because you know the 30-day challenge is, is fun to sort of bring up but if you can get to that stage you know you can get up uh, to from completely clumsy and incompetent to just competent with it and from there as soon as you kind of get over that learning curve and get onto that first plateau then you can start making some incremental gains so that way it goes for musical instruments painting i mean obviously you're not gonna be the greatest painter right off the bat so uh, give yourself a break and realize you know that's 20 hours is 20 hours i mean that's half a work week and if you break that up into like a 30-day period before you know it you're going to be competent at something and then from there competence leads to confidence leads to everything else. So I, I really like bringing that up as well, because people, I think generally, and myself included, I like hearing something a little more like manageable. So that's why I deal with like the 10 minutes a day and then the 20 hour learning curve. And based out of that, I think everybody can kind of get excited because anybody can contribute 20 hours or 10 minutes a day, I think. So that's, those are my two big rah-rah, you know, let's, let's hang my hat on those things. Yeah. That's a really great breakdown because Say you want to start learning something creative that you've never done before and you go, man, that just looks too hard. Like to get from beginner to something that you, you want to do, say you see a painting you want to replicate, but breaking it down to make it manageable, that makes it so much easier to, to stick with that learning curve and get to that competency level that you're talking about. So much easier. Yeah, for sure. And then when, once you get to it, it's like the sky's the limit, right? And, you know, as soon as you've done that a few different times, then you, you're going to be more comfortable and confident to be going, okay, well, I've, I've done that with this. So now I can learn, you know, fill in the blank. Now I've done that with painting. Now I can, you know, pick up a ukulele or, or something along those lines, right? So you can kind of play around with it at that point, for sure. It's all about, yeah, breaking things down into manageable chunks and then just doing it. You know, uh, I, I mean, I like what you said earlier. It's just like, yeah, you just like it. At the end of the day, it's like action dispels overwhelm, the feeling of like, oh man, why even start? We'll just start and see what happens, right? If your first goal is this competency, like just being like reasonably good, competent enough to sort of noodle around on the guitar, that's great. That'll be your first goal. And then, you know, just keep up in this, the stakes from there. Another thing that I just thought of in regards to just starting, I think once you've started something, you can break down that idea in your mind that, you know, oh, I'm no good at guitar. I can't do this. But once you've started to do it, then you trick your mind a little bit. You're then the kind of person who can play guitar. So it's also just getting over that 
hump. Like for me, I enjoy music, but I, I can't play any instruments. You know, I've never really been that kind of person. But if I wanted to, those kind of thoughts are not going to help me do that. Because at the moment I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not musical. I'm not the kind of person who can play a musical instrument. But if you just cut that thought <laughs> right out and you just start, you can trick your brain into, okay, you know, it's part of your identity now. I'm a person that plays musical instruments. Absolutely. It's, it's funny you say that. I think, I, I think a lot of people that is the hang up, right? Is they can't see themselves as doing that, or it's not part of their identity, or it's not part of their previous identity, and they just can't get past that threshold. So it is interesting. It's an interesting sort of psychological you know, trap that we put up for ourselves. So again, that's, yeah, it's, I, I love the idea of just dividing yourself from the fact that it's like, you know, being bad at something or failing at something, quote unquote, at the beginning has no commentary on, you know, snowballing into this commentary on the fact that like, oh, I'm not musical. I could never do that. You know, these, bi these binary thoughts that come up of like, oh, no, that's just not me. Like I, I've, I've always been, you know, or I've never been able to do that and I can't do it now. So yeah, I, I love sort of getting to the point where we can dispel those, those types of thoughts. And I, I, I really hoping to, to get to the point where I can I help people sort of get through those thoughts and to your point, sort of flip the script in, in your own head and start going, okay, you know, maybe, yeah, like you say, trick your brain almost like, yeah, no, I, I can do this. Even just a little bits at a time, I think would be enough to, to trigger somebody into wanting more and more. And so it's a very interesting topic. I like how you, you brought that up though. Is this like, cause I think that is one of the, if not the main, you know, thought that, that goes through somebody's head is they can't detach themselves from the the story that they're telling themselves about something from just going and doing it, right? It's, it's, it's funny to think. Absolutely. Also, what about the person who may wants to do something creative, start a new hobby, but they say they don't have time for it. And after all the different things that we've talked about, all the different creative benefits and benefits to your mind, body, and spirit, what would you say about the idea of not having time to do something creative? So if, if somebody can't do it, I always sort of challenge them that there's maybe something more deeply rooted there because there's there's something behind the scenes that's preventing them from doing it, you know, and that maybe that's like self-worth issues or or something along those lines that, that would be, need to be addressed. And it may be something as simple as like, you know, we talk, talk a lot about, you know, traumas when you're when you're a kid. So it could be something as simple as you painted something when you were eight years old and like your teacher was like, ah, that's no good, you know, and you've basically repressed it and you don't even think about it anymore but it's still part of your programming right so when you're growing up and maybe you wrote a poem uh to a girl you liked or something like that and you know got shot down you know that that kind of stuff's pretty traumatic when you're like in your formative years and when you're like seven or eight years old so you know i, I would think it'd be likely that there's something like that sort of behind the scenes that's uh you've maybe either repressed or forgotten about that i would like to address at that point right so you kind of do like what, what I like to do is story work. So that's kind of the basis of the enlifted coaching style. So that's when you kind of get into a breakdown of people's stories that they tell themselves, right? So you start to get into the narrative. So basically what we do, the, the, the style is actually quite fascinating. So you'll, you'll type it up on your computer on a Google Doc. So I can see, you can see it at the same time and we can both edit it at the same time. And basically what we'll do is, okay, we'll do a breakdown as far as, okay, you know, what happened to you at a certain point, do it as a narrative in a, in a sense, it's like an autobiography, right? So there'll be a couple paragraphs in there, fairly short, but in there, you're going to find 
chances are you're going to find there's going to be some degree of projection uh, or like the binary language that we've talked about, like the, I've always done this or I never get this done. Uh, you know, there could be like some soft talk, like I should do this, I could, or maybe I should do this. And then just the fact that it's out of your brain and it's on the screen and then we can both see it. And then basically I would get you to read it, read it out loud. And oftentimes you can kind of see the person's body language when they go over certain sentences, especially ones of like projection or, or different things that, you know, when it's in your head, it seems to be okay. But as soon as you're reading out loud, you're kind of like, Ooh, maybe that doesn't sound so good, you know, or you kind of catch yourself a little bit. And then the second time you read it through, you read it at about 70% speed. So then that way you can't sort of sneak over or kind of sneak around certain trigger lines or sentences for yourself. And you can really start feeling the feeling come into the sentence as well. And then by the third time, we basically break it down into like sentence chunks. And then you take a nice, big, deep abdomen breath between each sentence. And before you know it, the story is completely taken like a different shape by the end of it. And then before you know it, we also will take out like, say, for example, like projections or, or statements of negation. And it's funny, you can pluck out one or two words and just change them. And then all of a sudden it becomes this is an affirmation, right? So that is kind of how I like to do a deep dive into people's stories that they're telling themselves in narratives and changing them. And they're basically, do, they're doing the work. I'm kind of walking them towards that, like walking them down that path. So I think if, if somebody were to sort of speak about like, okay, I have an identity issue or like, oh no, I just, I don't view myself in this, this fashion. I would elect to do something along those lines where you can really get into you know, mentally where they're at and why they feel that way. And then breaking it down and seeing, holding it up to light. Like when you have it on there and you're reading it out loud and then you're doing it at 70% speed and then you're allowing the feeling to come in. And then you're taking those phrases and just sort of tweaking them just ever so slightly. And it's still your words, but they've just taken on a little bit of a different meaning because you plucked one out and uh, replaced it with something different. Before you know it, it's like, oh, wow. And it just feels like it's crazy. Like I, I can't say enough good stuff about like the Enlifted style of coaching. So that would be, I guess, how I would sort of approach it because there, yeah, there, there's probably a lot, a big mess in, in behind the scenes that needs to be dealt with to get to the stage where you can be like, okay, no, yeah, I do see myself differently now. And so, you know, it's, I guess, yeah, that would be how I would, how I would go about it because uh, man, the, the coaching style basically to go through level one, I had to do, I was sort of the test subject for, for Mark, my instructor and holy, it's like, man, you don't understand how sort of limiting or destructive your self-talk is to yourself right I don't think I don't know I, I didn't realize it until and I'm 40 now like I didn't realize how yeah how destructive sort of bullying I was to myself and it was like I don't think it was truly me it was sort of learned and it was usually like almost like a maybe a like a you know, paternal voice or a boss I used to have. Right. And that's how I would motivate myself. But it was a lot of like browbeating and uh, pressuring myself, not pressuring myself in a good way either, like almost threatening myself. And it was really strange to see it kind of come out on, on, on the screen and reading it. And I'm like, man, like what, why am I talking to myself like that? And uh, I always thought I was a positive person. And, you know, I, I, I believe I am. Uh, at my core right but there's all this like sort of programming that I, I feel I've maybe picked up over the years and you know I, me claiming well I don't know how much of it's like from society as well where like 
you know, you pride yourself on grinding and I work well under pressure and, you know, stressing myself out and, you know, iron, you know, like it's iron, you know, whatever the, all the different phrases like that. What is it? Iron Iron. sharpens iron. There we go. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I had a hard time getting that one out, but that, that kind of stuff. Right. So I don't know like, how was it for for you? Like, do you, with your self-talk, like, and also I just want to quick, quickly say, I found out that not everybody has self-talk which I didn't realize like people think in like images and stuff like that but they don't actually like have ongoing narratives in their head which I found fascinating because I thought everybody talked to themselves in their head but how is it for you like how do you are you hard on yourself yeah well just I thought everyone had self-talk as well I didn't realize that until you said just now that's really interesting so it is interesting yeah yeah, because I, I definitely do. I think a lot of it has changed since starting this podcast over a year ago. Good. And I guess that's probably probably part of why I wanted to start this because I always had an interest in mindset, but I guess I knew mine probably wasn't that great. I considered myself a positive person as well, but I thought, mm, I don't know, there's something that's not quite, you know, not quite right here. So talking to so many different people obviously the whole thing is around mindset and the language we use and just a a quick start we know that 95 percent of the thoughts we have every day are negative I think just Mm -hmm. knowing that and then catching myself on things that I might say or like out loud as well talking to other people plus the internal thoughts I think that's just been something becoming aware of it and then being able to practice cutting words out of my vocabulary as well and just one for example is about time and something I used to always say is I don't have time for this or time for that especially going through university and work in my first job to now I say I haven't made time for this because then it's it's something that I control it's my choice and if I haven't made time for it that's a choice I've made so that is just one, but that's been made a massive difference to the way that I look at planning my week, especially with running the business and making priorities and yeah, just having to, to work on catching myself on what I say and try and cut things out or, or change it around. No, that's brilliant. You would love, I, I'll send you the link. So for Mark England, cause he does this whole course, part of the course that I took was called Procabulary. And it is exactly what you're talking about is, uh, and we do these, it's pretty much just like, he calls it language games. So it's basically the, I should, like, I should be doing this. And then you change that just to, I get to do this. Mm-hmm. And it just, just a slight change in phrasing completely changes. Like the way you hold your body when you say it, it's crazy. And it's, it's really neat that you, that you mentioned that. I think you get, uh, yeah, I get a lot of, I'll send you, I'll send you the link. Cause he, he does a, a amazing Ted talk and it's all basically about, about, just reframe an experience that you've had or, or, or reframing it it, with words basically. Right. So it's, you can either have the negative bias that, that humans seem to have. And, you know, I I think that some of that obviously has has to do with the survival, uh, you know, from back in the, the caveman days, you always talk about, you know, the caveman, the saber tooth tiger, and you got to think about, okay, what can I do better tomorrow? So I can have a, you know what I mean? So that, that, that stuff comes into it. But I think at this stage in the game, I think we can probably like release that a lot more than we do as, as a, you know, as a species. And it's just, yeah, I'm just so fascinated with it. Just, just words, just even like you say, just plucking out one and replacing it. Like I should, do I get to completely changes the energy of what you're saying and the intention behind it as well. Right. Because should feels like it's almost like an external pressure. Like I should, because 
that's what people are supposed to do versus I get to. I get to do it because it's my choice. So all of a sudden you've like taken control, you've shut out the external, it's about you and it's about your your intention versus like, you know, feeling this sort of external pressure almost, right? So yeah, I just, I, I find the whole, that just incredibly fascinating and just cleaning that up. That's the toughest thing though. Like I just went back to my job after like my leave of absence was up a couple weeks ago and I kind of walked in there with a the swagger, like, yeah, I'm a changed man. It's going to be all good. Like I'll be able, I got this. And I'll tell you, man, it's like, you know, after 22 years, I have these default modes, right. And just say, uh, there's a lot coming at you. Cause it's like, you know, you, you got a lot of people in the store and customers, you're gen- dealing with the general public. So, you know, after 22 years of conditioning, I do have default responses to certain one-liners and, um, you know, you always kind of, you think about like the clock shop where everything, like they might all kind of start off sync, but before you know it, like all the clocks are synced up. Right. So it's kind of like that. So for me to get back in there, initially I was kind of rejecting it, but my energy sort of feels like it sort of settles back to where it was before. So I had a tough time with that because, you know, I, I, I felt I did a lot of work on myself, but to get back into almost like taking a step back into the person I quote unquote used to be with this new version of myself. Now I'm half new again. I guess this is sort of a recurring theme in our interview here, but like I get back to this one piece at a time because it was overwhelming. Like I was so hard on myself right away. I was like, man, so I'm, I'm talking to some of the, uh, the younger staff members. I, I always use self-talk or soft talk rather. So that uh, maybe if you can, yeah, if you could, you know, like just because I want to temper it to the point that I don't seem super assertive and I don't want to like scare them because they're like 16 year olds and it's their first job. So I, I really temper my language with this like soft talk and kind of, you know, it's, it's a little more ambiguous than it should be. Here it is, a little more, take out a little more. It's more ambiguous than it should be. So, so you know, and, and that sort of happens. And I'm like, damn, like, wow, I can't believe I, I fell into the trap already. So I started getting hard on myself. I'm like, no, no, hold on. Like next conversation I have with that kid again, I will be. So the idea is like, you remove the soft talk and you're assertive, but you use manners. So that's what tempers it, quote unquote. So you say, this needs to get done by the end of your shift, please. I'm like, that's simple. Why can't, why couldn't I do that before? But that's just the way that it was. So it's kind of uh, making small little, okay, uh, the next 10 minutes, I am not going to, I'm going to be assertive with manners as opposed to, you know, doing the, the soft talk go around, right? So I guess, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it's awareness. Like as long as you're aware of what you're doing, you can make the change, right? It's when you're not aware or you're aware and you don't want to make the change because you're like, again, you get into the stage where you're just like, well, that's just the way I am. Or, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm getting to the age where I'm like, well, I'm 40. I'm not going to change now. No, are you kidding me? I want to change more than I ever have been. I, I very much have a growth mindset now, more so than I ever have. And I want to continue on with that. So, you know, I think awareness is the, is the biggest thing. Just being aware of your own behavior and kind of having like a, a step away from it and not being hard on yourself. Just going, okay, well, I didn't do it this time but I'm going to do it next time. And I'm going to do it for five minutes. And then maybe, you know, before you know, you're doing it for half an hour before you know it, it's just, it's, you know, it's a second nature, you know? So that's, that's kind of my idea with it. But, you know, initially it was, it was pretty tough to kind of go back and, and, you know, I guess be confronted by, you know, the old, the old me, like worlds collided. It's like the old me and the, the new me. And it was like an arm wrestling match. And I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be like that. I've just, you know, there, there should be peace between the, <laughs> the two uh, versions of me. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that because yeah, thanks. 
That's, that's important too. You, like you said, you walk in, I'm a changed man, but then you're going to be bombarded with all these defaults that you've built up your whole life. So I think that that's mm-hmm. really great advice there. Anyone else that's, that's in that kind of same position. Yeah. So that's a fantastic story. Thank you. So just to finish off, I believe your band last month released a piece and there was a bit of a, a challenge there going through a global pandemic. So just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to. Yeah, so I've been in a band, it's Ground Level Falcons, and we've been actually just at our 10-year anniversary this past month. So it's the three of us, myself, Brendan, and Greg. So shout out to those guys. It's been fantastic playing with them. And yeah, it's been tough. So so we're at the age now that like Brendan has two young ones at home. Greg just uh, got married, I want to say three or four years ago. So he took a leave of absence for the band and had him and his wife had a child as well. So you throw uh, the young ones in the mix and, you know, the wives are, are and we all were, we we're all kind of concerned uh, about, uh, you know, the, the whole COVID situation. So it was very tough. We actually had a four month period where we just didn't play at all. It was just locked down up here in Canada. So there was nothing going on. And it was unfortunate because it was right at, again, we talked about sort of the inception and the momentum that you get from the, uh, you know, the inception of, uh, in this case of, of creating these songs. And I just, Love that feeling. And we were just getting everything rolling. And Greg had just come back in the band after uh, his three-year leave of absence. And, and man, everything was just clicking. I'm like, man, this is, this is, this is it. This is our, you know, our best album easily. And uh, yeah, and then everything kind of went, went sideways. And, you know, it's kind of tricky because there, everything went on hold for about four months. And then when we finally came back into it, you almost kind of want to be done with the songs because they're associated with the pandemic. And I'm just kind of like, man, and you're kind of picking them up again. It's almost like having to relearn them again as well. And as much as I love the songs, I was just kind of like, you know what? We got to just kind of finish this, you guys, because it's like already feeling like it takes too long. I, I don't know how it is for you, but like with a project, I, I give it a specific, okay, this is how long it's going to take. And if it takes anything past that, I start to, it just takes a different shape and and I feel like I've kind of lost control of it and I'll either usually just cut ties with it or or whatnot but I was I was so passionate about these songs that I didn't want to do that so you know we, we picked it up and basically what we did with it Rachel is we had Greg come back in finally after he had he, he had to take a little bit longer more of like eight months after that second wave or whatever his third wave by that point so he came back in and and he started recording the bass and I'm like okay sounding Sounding great, but I wasn't actually expecting him to come back right away. So I'm like, okay. So I started kind of going down memories past. And we had Adrian, who's our lead guitar player from four years ago. He lives in Victoria, so about 14 hours away from where we live. I'm like, well, there's nothing sane. And this kind of gets into like everything that we uh, we got out of COVID is is uh, like some, some good use of technology, like uh, fast forwarding into like using Facebook Live. Like I'd always kind of like had it in my periphery, but I'd never used it. But now we're starting to use that. There's a software called Jamulus that allows you to jam without any lag. I can jam with my brother in North Vancouver, again, 14 hours away with no lag that, you know, that wouldn't have been put in place as quickly had it not been for the pandemic. So different things like this. So I was able to get Adrian to record uh, just over the computer from where he lives and, you know, pick it, pick everything up on my end and put him back on there. And then we kind of just took it from there. So all of a sudden it started taking this different shape because we have Adrian, you know, back on there. So I, everybody that had showed up in albums past, I had sort of a cameo role. And then before you know it, it's like, it's just, everything worked out perfectly because it's like the 10 year anniversary of the band. 
So it's kind of like the, the story of the band in a musical sense. It really tells our story as well as it tells, in my opinion, a beautiful story, like musically as far as, and just lyrics wise, like there's an actual story behind the album. And so there's all these different layers. So you can listen to it as just a piece of music, song after song, or if you know all the backstory behind it, it really does tell a story. It deals with, there's uh, there's seven songs on the album. So it uh, deals with the seven stages of recovery or the seven stages of grief. And it basically is based on this, this hike that the, the main character has taken. And there's like seven stages of this hike. And it's a real hike that uh, takes place in the, uh, the Rocky Mountains here in, in Canada. It's like just, it's a place called Jasper. And so with each, it's kind of like a metaphor, like the hike is this person sort of going through all these stages and recovering and each uh, stop on the hike represents a song and a stage in recovery. So, and then just adding all the different elements of all the different cameos of everybody that's joined the band, all of a sudden it went from this like, ah, oh, man, I'm just like, I'm done with this album to this, in my opinion, I can say like humbly, I guess, you know, I, I, it, it's, I, I think it turned out beautifully. It, it tells a fantastic story. and. Um, you know, he kind of took it out of like almost a nosedive into the my favorite thing that we've ever done, hands down. And all the guys are saying it as well. And the gal that's on there as well, Olivia, it's the backing vocals and all the, the albums to kind of represent the uh, the female uh, perspective in the, uh, the relationship. It's kind of like a breakup album. And uh, so, yeah, I just over the moon about it. It turned out so good. This is the first self-produced one I've done since 2009. So I did all the, you know, the, the editing and, and mixing and everything as well. So, and I'm sure you can relate. There was like, <laughs> by the end, I, the sixth mix was just like one little, you know, half DB on vocals on one part. I'm like, no, it's not quite done, you know? So, and uh, so I got to that stage. So basically my, my litmus test is I go for a jog and I have my earbuds in. And if, if I can just do the full jog without stopping and like writing something down or something like that, then I got it. And I just remember on the sixth mix, mix I, I uh, went for a jog. And again, it was kind of one of those moments where it's just like, perfect, like right front to back. I was almost expecting like something to skip at the end, like, ah, come on. Like, but it was like, uh, to me, flawless. And like, I had the goosebumps and everything. I'm like, it's, it's ready. Uh, it's good to go. So yeah, thanks for letting me talk about it. Yeah. So Skyline, it's, it's ground level Falcons Skyline. I think it turned out just beautiful and I'd love it if uh, you guys all listen to it and just let me know how, how you like it because yeah, I guess how to describe it. If you haven't heard us, obviously it's a uh, we got big into like Neil Young. So like, I, I love Neil Young. I like Queens of the Stone Age. I obviously child of the nineties. So I grew up with the whole grunge scene, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, things of that nature. But uh, yeah, it's kind of got like the seventies sort of classic rock with a bit of grunge thrown in there just because that's kind of what we do the best, I guess. But yeah, that's, that's the album. And uh, you can find it on any streaming site. Like it's on Spotify, Apple Music. And our sort of de facto website is groundlevelfalcons.bandcamp.com. I love it. Skyline, I'm going to put a link to that in the notes of this show. I can't Thank wait you. to listen. And yeah. yeah, best of luck for the release of that. It's really exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Like it was, it was a great conversation and I'm looking forward to uh, part two with uh, you coming on Electric Soil podcast tomorrow. Absolutely. I'm really excited about that after the conversation we've had today. I have one final question for you that I love to ask everyone at the end of the show. Sure. So what is the number one thing that you believe is most important about becoming the master of your own mindset? Ooh, that's a good question. I guess I'm just like right now I'm so into the idea of like a growth mindset. So for me, it would be turning off any ideas of limiting beliefs. So 
rewind back to when you're like a little kid, like when you're in your developmental, you know, like three to five years old and literally anything is possible. And your imagination is as such that you can make anything out of anything. You could be entertained by like a cardboard box, like, you know, not to not lose that, to get back to that stage where, where anything is possible. Don't let external circumstances or what people tell you and even what your voice tells you, what your inner voice tells you sometimes hold you back. Take enough time to remember how you used to be as a kid, as far as anything is possible. If you put your mind to it and you put enough enthusiasm and action behind it. So when you talk about like the law of attraction, I think one of the main things that people kind of forget about with that is you can have the intention and you can put it out to the universe, but you also have to meet the universe probably well more than halfway there. You have to also then follow it with massive action. So that would be mine. I think that's just really been my sort of mantra, I guess, is just no limits, just growth mindset. Always have that sort of mindset, like the student mindset and, and never stop uh, learning, but also then integrating the learning as, as we mentioned, a little callback to, yeah, otherwise you're just procrastinating. So learn and integrate. And that would be mine, just the growth mindset. I love it. That's a fantastic answer. Matt, thank, thank you. you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much as well. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed exploring the conversation of creativity with us over the last two episodes. If you'd like to connect with Matt or listen to Ground Level Falcon's new release, you can head to the show notes below. You'll also find the interview that Matt and I did over on his show, Electric Soil. I have a challenge for you as we leave today's episode. What is something you've always wanted to learn? I challenge you to spend 20 hours working on a new skill. I can't wait to do this all again with you next week. Until then, remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited 